0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen.
1: What's up, everybody?
0: This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another episode in our NBA Wheel of Fandom series, and today we're going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers with our guest today. Back at it again with the host of Real Talk with MJ. Please welcome... Miles Johnson.
2: What's up, y'all? Happy to be on Hoop Tuck. And man, let's get right into it. Let's talk about my Sixers, Ben Simmons. What are the Sixers doing? But all these trades, Daryl Moore, what's going on? So man, I'm happy to be on here. I guess on
0: that note, Jalen, let's get right into it. Let's start this up.
2: Yes, sir, man. Ryan, you know
1: this episode been brewing since the playoffs. So Miles I'ma skip my first readout question. I'ma gonna, I'm gonna skip it out. We're gonna, we gonna get to the team record, <laughs> the defense that. How do you feel, Miles? How did I told you on the last pod, <laughs> Hawks In seven. I'm I don't know even. if y'all were listening to me when I said what I said, but I meant what I said, and I have it in my pocket now. I have my man's Miles on the pod. Now,
0: the way you left game seven,
1: (laughs) I need, I need, before I can get into anything else, I just need to know, how did you feel coming off of that final
2: game? I just need to, I'm I'm going to leave the floor
1: to you, I just need to
2: know. Man, so like, so I'm in like, so I'm in the stands, me and my friend, some diehard Sixers fans, we went to the game. We were expecting our team to beat the Hugs, you know, get to the you know, get to the conference finals. I mean, the well, we were trying to face the Bucks, ready right? face the Bucks and Nets. I don't know who was, I don't know who was up at that point, but it was set up for us to get to the conference finals. And I'm, I'm seeing, I'm going, I'm I'm looking at the game. Trey Young is having a terrible game for his standards. I mean, he was five for twenty-one. Dang near had as many shots as he had points. I mean, he was terrible. But the guy that kept giving this buckets is the guy that you would not even have thought about. Kevin Herter. Kevin Mm -hmm. Herter. A guy drafted in the first round, I think in the same draft as Trey Young. But a guy that you're like, okay, he's a, you know, he's a good, he's a good player. He's a solid player. But you don't think he's gonna go for 27 points in the game seven. Just torch Steph, just torch Seth, Cur- Seth Curry, Seth Curry, Seth Curry, same thing. Just torch him. I mean, every time you saw Kevin Herter just like, just like go up, just go up against Seth Curry, it was like a lion feasting on a, uh, feasting on a hyena. I mean, every time he got buckets on Seth Curry, every single time. And, uh, at, at, and at the end of the day, I mean, a guy like Ben Simmons that I saw with my own eyes, Pass up a wide open dunk. I mean, everybody in the stadium is like, "What the heck is wrong with this guy?" Like, you had an open dunk. Trey Young is under the basket. Like, I'm seeing it. It hits different when you see it in person. In person. So you know, I'm leaving. So after we lose or whatever, uh, um, you know, I'm walking down. Everybody is saying "F Ben Simmons." you know as I you know as everybody walks out of the arena, and people are stomping on his jersey putting fire on his jersey everybody's like what the heck these sixers man it was it was bad it was bad but the guy that we gotta trade is ben simmons because honestly i can't really fault Joel b too much he was on a torn meniscus and he gave us everything he had and tobias harris you can't really expect too much from him i mean he's not a superstar he's not really he's not a star i'm gonna be honest so it was like Ben Simmons. Was, ben Simmons was the guy that had like what, like six points, or he and and that whole entire series, he just failed to produce. Failed to you know failed you know failed to produce, and them demons in his head with him shooting the rock. I mean, they got to him. I mean, in the in the regular season, he was a sixty four percent free throw shooter. A matter of fact, six sixty one percent. Come to the playoffs, he's below thirty five percent. So that's obviously mental. He was obviously he was obviously mentally broken down. So he's the main reason why we lost that series. Now I'll give some blame. I'll give some blame to Doc and you know Tobias Harris too. But the majority of the blame goes to Ben Simmons. And as a Sixers fan, I can speak for all of us. We want Ben Simmons out of there, out of there. So so y'all
1: have to understand the reason why I had to get Miles's perspective is exactly because of what he illustrated. He was there. This is this is a tough perspective about that game in particular. There's a lot of people, of course, there's TV personalities that were there at the game as well that have spoken on the Ben Simmons situation, and there's plenty of TV personalities that did it from a distance, but we're talking about a legit fan who has a very specific perspective of this game being in favor of the Sixers and watching this game go down the way it did. I, I mean, a lot of the stats that Miles read off, I mean, to a T explains just, you know, in a nutshell how this game took place. And, you know, I'll get into some of the the readouts now in terms of talking about their season. 14th in points per game um, last season, 6th in opponents' per game, 13th in offensive rating, 2nd in defensive rating. This is one one of the better defensive teams in the league last year. A lot of versatility, obviously. Uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were both vying for um, defensive player of the year last year. Um, Even Matisse Dybul was a guy who was in the all-NBA defense range. Um, Man, there's so many ways that we can go with this. So, um, Ryan, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to go back to Miles on something really, really specific. But I I really think that it's an interesting uh, nugget to focus on before we kind of deep dive into this se- this past season. Miles, how do you feel about Ben Simmons electing not to go play for Team Australia? Because I feel like this is something that can be taken one of two ways, right? The first aspect of it is, Focus on your individuality in terms of being able to work on your game within an open gym and really hunker down on focusing on shooting the ball. That's obviously what everybody's been playing for. A lot of people have gone as far as saying kind of with the honest treatment where it's you don't have to shoot the three. You just got to shoot it, right? And in this circumstance, I could see why being able to work in an open gym and focus on just his straight up mechanics is something that would entice Sixers fans to be like, okay, hey, he's locking himself away in a gym. But, but, especially after what we saw from Team Australia during these Olympics, right? A very competitive game with Slovenia, ended up winning the bronze medal. That was huge um, for their group. Um, Big, we, I mean, we saw, you know, how competitive France was in these Olympics, as well as the fact that the U.S., out we we if you don't mention Kevin Durant when talking about the u s Olympics, you Ooh. literally just didn't watch anything you didn't you didn't watch anything because he was literally the only reason we were in these games, so I think that it would have been a good chance on a on a grand-scale stage where, yes, you could argue that the stage is bigger than even the NBA playoffs to a certain degree, right? We're talking about the Olympics here. So I guess there is a certain pressurized situation with that. But I think if there were any time to really let the league know that you're not as horrid of a player as most people assumed coming off of last season, it would have been to go kill in the Olympics, which even Australian teammates were mad at him for electing not to join the team. Right. So from a Sixers fan standpoint, how do you feel about him deciding not to go to a, go play for team Australia? Because I really think that you can cut that with, you can cut that with
2: both, you know, both options. I mean, that just, it just infuriated me even more because it's like you, we, you be every, every off season, the question has been up in the air: Is Ben Simmons gonna get a shot? We see these workouts where he's in an open gym and he's making three points. He's making fadeaway shots. He's doing post stuff. He's doing all this stuff. Come the regular season time, we don't see any of that. So Sixers fans are tired of him working in an open gym and working on a shot because come, because it's way different from shooting a shot when nobody's in the when when nobody's in the gym when you' when you're just with if you're a trainer compared to you're in a, an arena with twenty five thousand fans to thirty thousand fans, so I was like i didn't really i just i didn't really care I was like, okay, if you're gonna do that i mean you should have if 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 it took the whole world ridiculing ridiculing you you know for like the entire playoffs for you to finally realize okay, maybe I'm gonna really lock in really dedicate." My time to working on my shot, then that just shows you're not a dog. That you're not really that that you don't have, that you don't really have that like hunger to really be that guy. Cause you're in your fourth year, I believe, fourth year maybe going into your fifth year. So you've been in the league for a minute. Guys like Donovan Mitchell, guys like guys like Jason Tatum, all these guys are progressing year in and year out. And it took all of this just for you to be like, all right, let me you know, let me try and work on something that I should have been worked on after my rookie year. If you look at Ben Simmons' stats, he, he he from his rookie year he was averaging like sixteen eight and eight, and that's basically what he's averaged his entire career. He's basically done what he's what he what what he is good at, but he has never gone further than being like, all right, let me try to expand my game. And I think I think that comes with arrogance. That comes with just not 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 willing to not not willing to to take a risk. There were there were reports saying that like you know. His group is a oh, his inner circle is a bunch of yes men that just let him do what he wants to do. And he doesn't have that people, he doesn't have like people in his corner to really, like challenge him to be like a better player. And I think all that is true. And if I'm the Australian national team, I'm pissed off because I'm like, we got bronze. If we had you, you're all star. You know, you're all, you know, all you were in the conversation for the best player of the year. If we had you, we very well could have. Gotten in that gold medal game, possibly gotten a gold medal. You never know. But it's like you're gonna bail out on bail out on us to do something that you are That 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 you should have been doing from the jump, which is work on your game. Every single person, unless you're injured, every single NBA player works on their shot, works works on their game, you know, works on stuff that they need to improve on every off season. And it took the whole world ridiculing you to do this, and then you miss out on, on the uh, you know, on the Olympics when. For other, you know, for other countries, the Olympics is a very big deal. Like, it's a very big deal. So you talk about Australia, France, Slovenia, all these guys on these teams, they take this way more. This is like the World Cup, but this is like, this is like, this is like the Game Seven of the Finals for all these guys. Like, for the U.S., it's not that serious, but for these other countries, it's you know, it's no, it is real serious. So I'll be, I'm right with those guys that would probably be that probably mad at Ben Simmons, you know, for skipping the Olympics because ultimately. He he should have been working on his side. He should have been working on his game in the first place. And I think Ben
1: Simmons, I mean, you talk about the versatility and the fact that, like, I mean,
2: sending somebody's
1: consistently 16, 8, and 8, like, I mean, I know that. I know, bro, I know the stats are extremely inflated in this day and age in terms of, you know, counting, the the typical counting st- stats in basketball. But that's a solid NBA player that has, you know, made two all-star teams. I genuinely believe that. Had the Serbia guys played because, you know, we missed out on like Nikola Jokic, for example, and Ben Simmons had played. I think Australia and the Serbia national team would have been vying for that second spot in terms of the pecking order in the uh, the basketball bracket in terms of the Olympics, because genuinely, I felt as though, yes, Australia got a uh, yes, Australia got a game off of the u.s but i genuinely always viewed france as the bigger threat from the beginning um and i feel like that was kind of shown based on their gold medal game as well but going Ryan, i'm going to bring it over to you with a lot of stuff that miles said because i feel like the biggest thing that he touched on was the work ethic aspect of ben simmons and i've seen this little bit of a track record uh add up in terms of him right we talk about his um his uh i guess I must say he he didn't really care when he went to LSU. Right. It was kind of just a year to be um to, to make himself eligible for the NBA draft. That was really all that was about. Then you talk about his career in the NBA so far. We're talking about, you know, four, five seasons now of just consistency but like miles said beforehand no actual improvement whatsoever to be told the same thing needs to be worked on and you're still catching memes of him working on his shot using the wrong hand and things like that have been associated with him then you come along to this this uh olympics run where he chooses not to participate um i'm not gonna question anybody's love for basketball because i feel like that's a dangerous thing to do right i don't like questioning anybody's psyche, I'm not going to act like I'm a psychologist and I'm danger, not a basketball psychologist. But that definitely rings to be a player with all the tools and not the mentality to carry a franchise. And I understand that Philadelphia has Joel Embiid, but we're also in a day and age where perimeter players carry teams to NBA championships. Even Giannis Antetokounmpo, despite being listed as a four-five, or five in a lot of indicating a lot of um, situations, he's a guy with the ball in his hands a lot. He's a perimeter guy um, that actually is showing, you know, sign. he he's everything that people believe Ben Simmons could become if he were to apply the yep. shot. So, Ryan, basically, what I'm saying is, do you think? We're going to talk about Ben Simmons in terms of being traded later, but do you think that Ben Simmons is a player that can be a lead option on a championship team? Because essentially, I think that's what you have to ask. Any team is asking themselves that when they go to make a trade for him, considering the kind of hefty price it could end up garnering. So, like, like, how do you feel about that? I'm, I have my own answer, but I want to see how you feel about it first.
0: Secondary option, yes. Lead option, no. And this is this is pretty much from what I've seen throughout the four years that he's been in the NBA. I just want to point out something with Australia real quick. I think he mm-hmm. could have turned the tide with the Australian national team and made them a gold medal contender. I think as a bronze medal contender, I thought that was it was great for them, especially seeing. Patty Mills, who just signed with Brooklyn, go off for 42 points in that bronze bronze medal game. Mm -hmm. So I think for Brooklyn, that's a huge win. I think he could have really helped the Australian national team win gold and beat Team USA, especially in the early stages of the Olympics, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people were criticizing Team USA early on in the Olympics, but we ultimately Mm -hmm. won gold. I think Australia could have been that challenger that could have really pushed the limits for Team USA in the gold medal game. Ben Simmons, as a player, has a lot to live up to. Keep in mind, he's the number one overall pick. Let's talk about other number one overall picks. Alan Iverson, LeBron James. I mean, even now with DeAndre Ayton, he's turning out to be a pretty good player right now. But then you look at other number one overall picks. Anthony Bennett, Michael like he's He's somewhere in the mix between great and mediocre. And he's right in the middle.
1: I mean, that's so okay, so Miles, I'm gonna come back to you with this because I think this is this is what's so interesting about this stuff. And like I said, guys, we're gonna end up getting into the, the specifics of like different kinds of trade packages a little bit later on. But I think understanding Ben Simmons and his impact on this team is going to be what helps segue into our first real question of the pod, which is giving the team a letter grade for the past season. So before we get to the letter grade, Miles, what I wanted to ask you, based on what Ryan said too, is for your team specifically, if you are to go into the season with Ben Simmons, right, what do you believe the optimal role for him actually is Because this, okay Ryan Ryan you know this is a little bit more Well documented than others because we've had Conversations off pod and on pod About Ben Simmons particularly But Miles if you haven't heard In terms of my descriptions about how I feel About Ben Simmons The trickiest part about Ben Simmons Is he has every Tool in his arsenal aside from the shooting Obviously that a team is Looking for In a point forward Right, the issue though is he still somehow fits in such a specific niche that he only still can fit on a handful of teams. I believe, I believe that the Sixers could be one of. Despite all the the on and off numbers with him and Joel Embiid in this that, and the third, I've seen all the statistics that say some years the combination of them two is one of the best duels in the league, top five duels in the league. I've seen other numbers where them together, the the shooting percentages, the the on off splits are horrible. So it's a very volatile number. What do you believe is the optimal role for Ben Simmons on the Sixers, or really for any team in terms of like? him moving forward because I think the tricky part about talking about how much better he can get is talking about where he actually stands as a player right now
2: yeah I mean like you said he has all the tools to be a great player I mean only thing that he lacks is shooting but the problem I I I know I used to compare him to Giannis uh but this season I just is no I just can't because he doesn't have now Giannis isn't, it's not like Giannis can shoot well. I mean, mm-hmm. every time Giannis makes a, th- every time Giannis shoots a, shoots a, um, shoots a three-point shot, people are like, why are we even shooting three-point shots? But what Giannis has done is he's dominating the paint. Ben Simmons mm-hmm. can, won't even attempt it. I mean, you saw this guy literally pass up a wide open and dunk. If that's Giannis. He he might break the rim if, if 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 he had that wide wide open of a dunk. Let's just be honest. So the difference between Giannis is that Giannis is gonna go to the hole no matter what. He's a freight train. Nobody can stop him going to the hole. Ben Simmons he's too passive, and that's the main, that's the main problem because if he was the type of guy that okay he, okay okay he he can't shoot, but he's gonna drive him to the hole and he's gonna you know. Be dominant inside in the paint. If he, if he was that player, and we saw that in the past, we saw that in the playoffs against the Nets, might have been either last year or two years ago, when he had that little beef with him and, uh, with, uh, him and, uh, Jared Dudley, and he put it like 42 points, or he, or, a fact, or he put like a monster game against him. But he had that mentality of like, okay, I'm gonna go in the paint. And it wasn't like he could shoot back then, he couldn't shoot back then. But he had the mentality of going to the paint. What's messed up his psyche is that he is like to drive into the paint because he's like, oh, I'm gonna get fouled. They gonna, you know, you know they gonna have me go going to going to the line. They're gonna make fun of me on Bleacher Report, Hassle highlights or whatever. So he's thinking about all that stuff instead of just doing what what he's good at. Because you see, when he is driving to the paint, he's as good at, he's as good as anybody in the league. So I think if he can't get into that mindset of, all right, I'm a Start driving into the paint, and you're gonna have to treat him like a regular power forward. If he, but if he, but if he develops that mindset of like, all right, I'm gonna drive into the paint. I don't care if I don't shoot, because it wasn't really the fact that he couldn't shoot. It was just the fact that he was just scared to just even attempt a shot or just even go and or or just even play to his strength which is going into the paint. Uh so I would say that if he doesn't develop that, you know, mentality of just going to the paint, getting his getting his buckets inside, then then he's going to have to I guess just be like a power forward, but you can't have on the Sixers being the primary ball handler as their basically as their point guard. And you can't hit free throws down the stretch. That, 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 that does not mix. I don't, I don't know one point guard in the league, uh, aside from like Rondo, I mean, but, but Rondo was a better shooter than Ben Simmons, but point guards in this league that are a liability from the free throw line. There isn't really one. Uh, so he can't really be a point guard in the future if he has his shooting, if, if he had, if he, if he, if, if he has like a mental block with him shooting, uh, and if he's, if, if this continues, and if he actually plays with the Sixers next season, which I don't see that happening, just just because Philly fans are ruthless, and if he even gets on a six, Sixers court as a Sixer, I mean, they will boo the heck out of him. But let's just say that does happen, and he is a Sixer. They're going to have to play him like a power forward unless his game changes. And, he, and again, he does not have to shoot like Seth Curry or... Like, like, Kawh- or like, you know, or like Clay or whoever. But if you have, but if, but, but if you, but, it, but, it, but, but if he develops that Giannis mentality to go in the hole every single time and not care about getting fouled and all this, then he can be that point guard. But until he develops that mindset, I just don't see him being that point guard in the league. But I see the other teams could look at him. He's only, he's only 24, and teams could look at him like, okay. Maybe if we develop a you know a team around you, full of shooters that open up the lane for you, and you can have like you know you can have an, an open lane to drive to the basket. So I can see some teams believing that, uh, believing that you know he's the guy for them. Same way how Giannis was that guy for, for the Bucks. So I can see that. But in terms of him being a Sixer, it's hard for me to uh, it's hard for me to uh, you know imagine him being a Sixer unless his game drastically changes.
1: Yeah, and I think when you talk about the mentality, right, the slasher mentality, the uh, the driver, the finish around the rim that he can be, I think the game against Jared Dudley that you mentioned is like the big measuring stick game where they're like, see, he can go off, Like, he can go off, and people... Kind of use that as the measuring stick of like where was this at, you know, especially in big moment situations. And um in terms of your your comment about other point guards who fall into a category similar to Ben Simmons, the only other person I could think about is Russell Westbrook, and we're not worried about his mentality as a shooter, right? Like by any means. So I think that only goes to prove your point even further that like yes, even as a guy who, um, you know, on a timid front to walk into sixteen eight and eight is impressive. But there's not many players listed at point guards specifically that can be so offensively passive. Um, I agree with that 100 percent. I think I think the biggest thing for anybody that um, needs the cliff notes version of I think where Miles is getting at. It's that his optimal fit isn't on the Sixers, because one of the biggest things that Miles touched on was. The, the spacing, the ability to be that driver, the guy who can, you know, he has a facilitating ability to kick out and things like that. But with Joel Embiid down low, that opportunity is not there nearly as often unless you're going to force Joel B to be a three-point shooter. And the capability is there, I guess you could say. But we're not going to compare, you know, Joel B to some of the better three-point shooting centers in the league. Carl Anthony Towns is probably the guy that comes to mind in terms of being an efficient three-point shooter at the big spot. Ryan, I'm gonna start with you in terms of our first like real official topic. Taking into account everything that we've already discussed, I thought it was a really great way to kind of segue ourselves into really breaking down the Sixers last season and what we should expect to them, expect from them moving forward. I'm gonna start with you on this one. Give the Philadelphia 76ers a letter grade based on past the last season. Now, of course, like I mentioned beforehand, this is a team that finished at the top of the Eastern Conference. Miles touched on it beforehand, just barely missed uh their chance at the Eastern Conference finals, literally one game away. We're in a circumstance talking about Philly where essentially across the board, this may have been their best shot in recent memory in terms of being able to make a real NBA championship run, which could also factor in to your grade, potentially, if that's how you view it. Or you could view it from the from the perspective of maybe how you saw them at the beginning of the season, where maybe at the beginning of the season, right? if I'm not mistaken, we had them somewhere between like fourth and fifth in the Eastern Conference when we did our preseason view of them before last season started. So what would you give them as a letter grade for last season, taking into account any of your Previous thoughts about the Sixers, any th- the takeaways from the playoffs, and just anything that's been said so far on the pod. I think Miles has made a lot of solid points. I think you have as well in terms of different stuff to take into account with this team. I'm
0: gonna give this team a B plus, and this was a team that proved throughout the regular season that they were capable of reaching the NBA Finals. And then Joel Embiid playing the way that he's been playing this past season, he was an MVP candidate for most of the season. And then Tobias Harris was a consistent shooter for most of the season. And he also had a couple of good games in the playoffs, especially in the first round against the Wizards. I thought Seth Curry was a great addition to the to the Sixers because of what he provided and something that Philly needed, which was shooting. And then I think Danny Green, I think, was huge on the offensive side as well. He shot 40% from three this past season. I think him and Seth Curry both help on the offensive side in terms of shooting. I think the playoffs become a different story, though, at that point. They take care of the Wizards in the first round in five games, but then they lose to the Hawks in seven, and you can blame it on the injury to Danny Green that took him out for the rest of the series. You can blame it on bad coaching adjustments. But ultimately, it came down to Ben Simmons struggling in the fourth quarter. I think his future is definitely in question, but the team being unable to make the conference finals while being the best team in the East... I think it has to be the biggest disappointment.
1: So, um, Miles, I want you to build upon that with your own grade of this team. I know that from a fan's perspective, especially with the way the season ended, it can be a very volatile way of saying, you know, this team gets a C minus because, hey, you made the semifinals, but dang it, we kind of expected that. Or there's the aspect of, Again, Ryan touched on, I think the Danny Green injury was underrated, personally. I feel like as a perimeter defender, you talk about Kevin Herter going off. I don't think that would have been the same case had Danny Green played. I'm not saying Danny Green is some super shutdown perimeter player anymore. He's still up there as a 3 and D wing um, in terms of prototype. But I would say overall that he would provide yet another defensive body on the perimeter to help with a guy like Kevin Herter who was getting hot in that game and maybe Kevin still gets hot but at least you know that you have your best defensive group out there I think the same thing can go for when you talk about just Ben Simmons in general I think I think your view of that series should be dependent on your view of Ben Simmons as a player I think the play obviously the the world-renowned pass up the layup shot is the one everybody zeroes in on of course the other thing is the statistic where he went uh where he was extremely passive in the fourth quarter as a shooter I think he took like four shots four to six shots total in the fourth quarter over the course of that entire series of course that hurts the case so there's a lot of different things on both ends of the spectrum to take into account what would your grade be for your team considering what expectations you might have had going into the season for them what you saw some of the things that you feel now that you've gotten a chance to let it kind of marinate a little bit
2: yes yeah, so i'm gonna give them a b uh just a notch lower than ryan and i just think that like you said in the beginning of the season Again, I had, I thought they were gonna be a top, see, I had them as either number two or number three. I had them, I had them at least in the top three with my predictions, but I saw people have them like a fourth seed, a fifth seed, a sixth seed. I saw that on ESPN too. Uh, but I was, um, but I didn't believe in any of that. Uh, but majority of people did not expect them to be a number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So if I can look back at this season, I'd be like, all right. So with all the moves that we, all the, all the moves that we made, I would say that in the regular season it was definitely a success. But we, but when you come to the postseason, by far we had the easiest easiest road to the conference final. I mean, I was really, I mean, by that, we were really just. I I mean at the, at the, at the end of the, of the regular season, I was thinking like, as long as we don't face Brooklyn or the Bucks before. The West before the conference finals were straight. And we ended up drawing the Wizards and the Hawks. And by that time I'm thinking, alright, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get my tickets to the conference finals. I'm gonna have a good old time. That was not the case. Uh, so, and I would say the real turning point for Ben Simmons was that game four against the Wizards when we had it locked up. And then Scott Brooks was like, well, all my tactics are failing. Let me just try one more thing. Let me try the hack of Simmons. He tried the hack of Simmons in that game. And that was the only reason why the Wizards did not get swept. And when Ben realized that teams are now going to do this, do the hack of Shaq, do the hack of Simmons on you, uh, then that just messed up his whole entire psyche. And, you know, the, and, and, and the Sixers ended up getting upset by the hooks. And I just feel like. That was a pretty much pretty much a, you know a, a, a disappointment, but I would say that the regular season it was like an A plus. The regular season regular season was an A plus. We were still able to be afloat with Embiid in and out of the lineup with some injuries. We were still able to you know uh, you know have a good record and get that number one seed with the Bucks and the Nets in our same conference. However, the playoffs I mean it was a total disaster, and I think another guy that holds a lot of blame is Al Rivers because. Even though Ben played terrible and he was the major, he was the reason why we lost. You didn't make the best adjustments. I mean, you then you didn't put. I mean, first off, you had Danny Green. I love the guy, death, but you had you had Danny Green on Trey Young in Game One. If we if we took care of business in Game One, probably would have probably you you could you could be looking at a whole different scenario. So I feel like Doc Rivers holds some blame and that playoff meltdown was so big that kind of takes away from actually a pretty great regular season so again for as as as, you know as a Sixers fan and when, when the season ended a lot of us were pissed off a lot of us were mad at how and how how it went but but if you can look back and be like all right yeah we should have done better yeah it was our best chance I guess since 2019, with the whole Kawhi shot, the luckiest shot ever, I can go on about that. But basically, our best chance with the Nets being injured, with our own, with our only real competition would, would be like the Bucks and I guess like the Suns as well. But it's like this is our best chance to really get out the East because you can't bet on the the Nets being injured like this. You can't bet bet on bet on other teams and in, in the whole entire league being injured. Uh, so I would say that in that aspect, it was, it was, it was disappointing. Uh, but I would say in all that, I give them a B. It wasn't too, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but in the regular season, they definitely, you know, surprised me a little bit too.
1: Yeah, and I think a B is fair. I think you guys, I think both of you guys' grades are fair out of the mere fact that, like I said beforehand, coming into the season, we had them pegged as a four or five seed. Um, in the regular season, yes, this is taking into consideration Joel, Joel Embiid's health, which did, did, up, did end up playing a factor that, that this past season, by the way. Um, so it wasn't a wrong assumption to take that into account when talking about the standings, but to finish at the top of the Eastern Conference, um, to be in a situation like they were where, I mean, the entire table was set in front of them, essentially. Um, I think they were one of the better matchups for the Bucks, where I think it could have been a very dead-even series. Similar to the one with Brooklyn, obviously, but I think for different reasons. Brooklyn is such a high-octane offense, and Milwaukee had, you know, versatile defenders across the board. I think that Philly and Milwaukee match up in a really interesting way, and of course, you know— the battle of Giannis versus Kevin Durant was interesting, but the battle in the low post between Giannis and Joel Embiid, I think, could have been its own movie, honestly. So I I think that there's a lot of different aspects to take away from last season, but I think, Miles, I'm going to actually come back to you, but I'm going to segue it in moving into this off season. I think that's what makes it so tricky for me in terms of grading their off season. In terms of they finished. Right about as well as it could go outside of, you know, faltering, you know, in Game 7. I think in terms of like the best case scenario, um, when taking, it, taking into account how you may have felt about them coming into the season, I think at least making the semifinal round with a chance, I mean, wait to Game 7, to go to have the chance to make the conference finals is about a high-end spot considering they were viewed as a 4-5-6 seed coming into um last season. So then we talk about what they did this offseason. You bring back Danny Green. I think that's huge because um Ryan, if you remember on the free agency episode that we did with Jackson, if you guys haven't checked that out, definitely give that a listen. It was really, really solid pod. But I view Danny Green as a guy that could go to a couple of teams and instantly elevate them. I thought the Warriors were one of them, especially with the fact that Patty Mills had signed with Brooklyn. I thought that the Warriors Picking up Otto Porter and Danny Green, sharing up that three spot would have been insane for them. But I think Philly getting him was crucial in terms of being able to to run it back, but also be able to still maintain that top flight defense. But then there's where things get tricky. So bringing back Fur- um, Furkan Korkmaz, not super mad at that um, versatile, you know, Versatile wing, nothing too crazy about him, but a guy that I think definitely can give you guys some minutes. Gorgeous Yang, I think is a guy who is kind of interesting because he gives you a stretch four element that should play well next to a guy in Joel Embiid considering the fact that the optimal role for him is to be on the low block, and I think by having a four who's already going to float out on the perimeter, it's going to force and Embiid to maintain that dominant frame down low. And then the tricky one is Andre Drummond for a year. This is the one that this is the one that kind of confuses me. Um, this is I I believe that it's a downgrade from Dwight Howard who went back to L.A. essentially. LA and Philly swapping centers Which is an interesting concept as well But I also Don't understand how This works for Embiid I don't understand how this works for Ben Simmons I'm not really sure how this works Within this team Considering the circumstances that Andre Drummond was a net Negative slash unplayable player Next to Anthony Davis who Quite literally was handing the five-man spot to him, and the Lakers were essentially asking him to be a 10-10 and 10 guy. The Sixers do not need help as a rebounding team. <laughs> Top 10 rebounding team last season. Do not need any help down low in the middle. Joel Embiid was a top-notch rim protector last season for most of the year and arguably could have been defensive player of the year had he maybe played a couple more games. And... In terms of getting spelled minutes off the bench, are we supposed to play through this guy? Like, I'm not really sure what his role is. So I think getting Danny was good. I think Gorgian Dieng was solid. Furcon's okay. Andre Drummond is where it kind of dips this grade. So for for you, Miles, how do you feel about um your offseason? Because I'm um a smidge confused um to put it lightly um I also think that one of the tricky things too is you got a guy in Jaden Springer in the draft I thought that was pretty solid we had to get him at 28 this was a guy who was projected in top 20 coming into the draft so I think that's a solid ball handler but I just think that you guys genuinely needed more perimeter play we saw Seth Curry go off in the playoffs we know what Tobias can do But you guys aren't really deep at the guard spot, and it seemed like all you guys did was double down on the front court. So how do you feel about your offseason, whether you want to give it a grade or just give your overall thoughts on the moves?
2: Well, here's what I'll say. Talking about the Andre Drummond, I wasn't ecstatic about it. I was like, eh, it's Drummond. I didn't really care. But I think what the Sixers were thinking was you can bet on, I mean, M.B. is going to miss time. He's going to miss time every single year. With that, again, a guy like Andre Drummond, who's much younger than Dwight Howard, and in the, in the event that Embiid gets injured, you can insert him in a starting lineup, and then I guess you can try to you know hold the ship until Embiid you know comes back healthy. But they definitely weren't gonna have you know Drummond and Embiid on the same court. I, I'd be surprised if they're even on the same court come you know come you know come the you know come the next season. Uh, but it's hard for me to put a grade on this Sixers team because they haven't done the elephant in the room, which is trade Ben Simmons, which us, all Sixers fans are waiting for them to do. But I was glad that they traded on my foot, that they re-signed Danny Green. He's a great 3&D guy that they need. Uh, and, you know, having him in the playoffs, although he was injured, but just having him, he's that, you know, he has that championship experience. Um and so having him in that locker room is you no know, is very good. Uh getting a guy like, you know, um you know, Gordy Dang or, you know, other guys, I mean they were I mean they were some good they were some good pickups. But, I mean they were like uh, they were like they were alright. They didn't wow me. That wasn't like, oh my god, that was a terrible move. But I just think that I can't grade the Sixers off season until they trade Ben Simmons. And I feel like mm. that will happen this off season, but until that happens, I can't really give them a grade because they were pretty, uh, they were pretty, I would say, they weren't, they weren't really aggressive in getting other guys in, you know, in free agency or nothing like that because I think the main thing on the table is training Ben Simmons and then getting the assets from that, whether it's getting a guy like Dame, getting a guy like Bradley Beal, getting whoever, uh, but that's the main thing. That's, that's what, that's what will dictate whether or not the Sixers had a, a good offseason or not. And they didn't have to change the roster too much. They were still a number one seed. And I, I believe that they'll still be a top three seed in the East next season. Um, uh, but again, with the Andre Drummond situation, I think it was more like we know Embiid MB is going to miss time. So we might as well get, get this young guy that is going to put up numbers if he gets the chance. Uh, and I think that's the main reason why they had and why they, why they got Andre Drummond. I wasn't too excited about it. I, was, I wasn't too down about it. But, again, I I don't think we can really grade the Sixers' moves until they trade Ben Simmons.
1: So, Ryan, I'm just going to use that actually to segue into my next question because I think that's like a a, a seamless transition into what I think is even more interesting about this offseason, which is the fact that Ben Simmons is still on this team, right? So with that being the case, um, Miles has already made it really clear that he feels as though he basically cannot grade this offseason without the – Ben Simmons trade of some variety being conducted before the season starts from your perspective I understand not being able to grade it but from your perspective do you feel as though it would be a failed off season if they are unable to get a trade done before the season starts because of course at the end of the day there's the trade deadline Um, That's where a lot of the guys that are on the trade market, their value is at its highest because the second half of the season is when teams are making their final push towards the postseason, right? Whether it's to make the postseason, whether it's to put themselves over the hump in terms of being one of these top five power rankings teams um, that should be in, in the legit hunt for the championship, there is that. But, Miles, you probably know this a lot better than we do because you're probably way thicker in the mix when it comes to um, 76ers Twitter. But a lot of stuff was said in the close of Game 7, in the exit interviews for Philly, that all indicated that Ben Simmons could not be on this team by the start of the season. So I think the locker room aspect is important in this as well as obviously the trade value that Ben Simmons has. So, of course, I'm going to go back to my question, Ryan. Do you, do you believe that this would be a failed offseason for Philly if Ben is not moved?
0: Short answer is yes, because even though you've re-signed Danny Green, thought it was a huge, huge move. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: He picked up Andre Drummond. That's kind of a weird, a weird move because I think spacing wise, it doesn't help the fact that you know, he's going to be sharing time with Simmons possibly as well as Embiid on the floor, like Miles mentioned earlier. And then draft wise, you get Jayden Springer, which I thought was a pretty good selection, but then you also draft Philip Petrusev and then Charles Bassey, who I think have very interesting upside. But what does that mean for Paul Reed, who's been, by the way, tearing it up in the summer league and in the G league as well. So I'll give credit where credit is due, but. Ultimately, yes, Ben Simmons has to go. He's a great defender, but I've ultimately been frustrated with his lack of improvement on the offensive side, whether it's been shooting the three or making free throws. I think he needs a change of scenery. The best way that you give him that is by trading him for a player or players that can benefit the championship contender team that you have. Keep in mind, I don't think Ben Simmons is a bad player. I think his stint in Philadelphia was bad because of the fact that he didn't live up to the expectations that the 76ers had for him. I think, Jalen, you mentioned it earlier in the episode. He has all the tools, but he doesn't improve on them. And I think that's that's the big thing that the 76ers were hoping that he could have showed that potential this year. But ultimately, it didn't work out. There are a lot of teams that could use his defensive skills. I kind of want to get both of your perspectives on this because ultimately it comes down to the question of what is Ben Simmons' value? Miles, I'll start with you. What do you believe Ben Simmons' trade value is?
2: Now, I feel like obviously right now after the playoffs, I mean, his value is at an all-time low. So you're going to have teams... They're gonna say no, he's not worth this, he's not worth that. But what Daryl Morey is gonna do? He's not gonna lower his trade value down just just because the playoffs were just like what, like two months ago, whatever. Like yeah, two months ago. So I think that he has his he has he's he's having a steep price for Ben Simmons right now, just off the fact that he just off the fact that uh he doesn't wanna trade him for pennies, for pennies on the dollar. And, and he knows that he cannot be a sixer next year. Like that's just, that just cannot happen. Uh, and so I think that he had, that's why he has his trade value high right now. And, and he's, and he was just, he just won't, he just won't accept an, an offer that isn't for like either a superstar or for some draft picks and for like, uh, you know, a young player that is already, that's already pretty good like a guy like Andrew Wiggins a guy like James Wiseman now I do think with that Warriors trait as I said you know off you know you know off air that if they included Draymond Green instead of James Wiseman maybe had those four those like four first round picks if I'm the Warriors I'm trying to win right now I mean you got I mean Steph is not getting a little younger I mean you got a guy like Ben Simmons that for being honest he can do everything Draymond Green can do but better Except obviously he can't shoot, but defending, he's probably a better defender. Passing, you can put that up in the air. You can, he's probably a better passer. I mean, yeah, that's up in the air as well. Uh, obviously as like a leader, Draymond Green has that edge, but just physically, I mean, Ben Simmons is, is a younger Draymond Green. Uh, so I would say that if the, if, if the Warriors are serious about winning now, they Alright, I get, I get it, I get it, I get it if you want to reject the offer, but at least take a look at it. I mean, Ben Simmons, people are talking, again, people are, had this recency bias that he's this terrible player and he's, I get on him because I know that he can be way better than he actually is. Obviously 16, eight, and 8 is not, you're not a bum. I mean, 16, eight, and 8, there's only like a handful of players in the league that have that. I can think of guys like Bron, okay, me, Bron, Westbrook, Luca. other than those guys, who's putting up 16-plus 16, 16 points, eight plus rebounds, eight plus assists? There's not too many guys. There's a handful of guys doing that. So he has to have some skill, has to have some, some type of talent to put up those numbers. So I think that people talking about his trade value is all the way down. They better hope if they get, like, a Malcolm Brogdon or somebody like that. The, the Sixers aren't going to fall into, into that trap, and so that's why they have his trade value up – that hot because they know that he's, he's only 24. If he's put in the right situation, he very well could change his whole entire game, be like a Giannis type of player. So I think that some teams have to look at that. Uh, and I just think that Daryl Mori is, is looking at that when he's trading Ben Simmons. He doesn't want to trade him for nothing. And then Ben Simmons end up being, being like a superstar on, on a, on a, you know, on a whole other, other team. Uh, so again, people are overestimating. How bad Ben Simmons is? He played terrible in the playoffs, but as a player overall, he's still a he's still a top twenty five player in this league. And you're not going to trade a top twenty five player, especially who's who is only twenty four years old, for nothing, right? So I think the Sixers are looking are looking at that, and they're just looking like all right. So he's already a first round. He's already a first uh, the the first overall pick in what 2016. We're not gonna just trade him for like a CJ McCollum or something like that. We're not gonna do that. Uh so I think that's what Joe Morey and those guys are looking at. And Joe Morey is a guy that he has gotten a lot of trades. You can think about guys like he got uh Chris Paul in Houston, got Russ in Houston, he got Dwight Howard in Houston. I mean he got a lot of guys in Houston to pair up with James Harden and I mean they were this close to being the seventy three and nine or being the being the Warriors with K D. And ultimately getting the chip. So Derek Morey is a great GM. He knows what he's doing. I got faith in the guy. He's the only guy in the Sixers organization that I have faith in. And I think that he'll get it done. And I think that he has his eyes on a guy like Dame, a guy like Bradley Beal. because if Embiid has a player that can match him, all he has to do is match him. Same way how with Giannis he had Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday that matched him in the playoffs. They you know they were able to, you know, match his matches energy match his production, both of those, both of those players combined, and B didn't have that. He would put up 40 points, and guys like Simmons would have like 6 points, or guys like Tobias Harris would, 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 would only have like 18 and 22 points. So, if he has that, so, so, you know, bona fide superstar on his team, that can pair up with him, you know that can pair up with him, the Sixers can be a a legit threat to, you know, win the finals. And I think that's what Daryl Morey is looking for. He's looking for that second star to go with Embiid. And and if he doesn't find that, he'll keep Ben Simmons before he tries to trade him for pennies on the dollar.
0: Jalen, I kind of want to go to you on this one because we had the bombshell collab back in January of this year, and that's when we found out James Harden was ultimately traded to Brooklyn in a three-team deal. There was a lot of talk that James Harden could have been a Philadelphia 76er in a package that would have involved Ben Simmons. And I feel like to this day, a lot of 76ers, Miles probably included, would have preferred James Harden in the long run, given that he's a guy that, that can give you 30 points a game pretty consistently. With that being said, what do you believe Ben Simmons' value is?
1: I think the part that hurts more is I, I, I remember hearing something that said like Maxi was the cutoff card for that trade as well. Miles, can you confirm
2: that? I think, I think, no, I don't think, I think that the Sixers, they were going to trade for him, but you got to think, Tillman Fertitta, who was the Rockets owner, was pretty salty that Del Mm -hmm. Mori basically told the Rockets, oh yeah, I don't want to be a gym anymore or they said he was, or he, I think he told him that he was retiring, then two minutes later, he's a GM with Philadelphia, so I think the Rockets owner was pretty salty and was like, I'm not going to trade Harden to Philadelphia, but if we're being honest, unless one of the draft picks that the Rockets have end up being as good as Ben Simmons, which, although people talk trash about Ben Simmons, I mean, it's Gonna be rare for a draft for one of those draft picks to be as good as Ben Simmons put up sixteen eight and eight consistently. Uh So I mean that's the Rockets' fault, but I, the the they really should have just traded for traded you know traded Harden gotten Simmons Maxie. I don't think Maxie was there's no way Maxie was the uh was the cutoff. I just think the Rockets were pretty salty that. You know, that their, you know, that their GM Daryl Morey, after like, you know, several years, ended up going to Philadelphia, and he and they just didn't want to trade into the the Sixers. That's my opinion. I th- I don't think that.
1: No, that's fair. I think that's uh, I think that's fair. And um, I'm going to tackle multiple of the questions that have kind of been thrown out, kind of just because I think they all kind of lump together. Uh, Miles, just to respond to what you said, real quick. I think Jalen Green could be better than Ben Simmons by this point yeah. in his career. Four years that we're talking about, what four or five years down the line, I think Jalen Green' his role will be better than Ben Simmons within the role that he's that he's played. Now, I think that's going to come a lot with. Yes, I th- I've already, I've, I, it's well documented, but I actually just did an article about this. Um, literally yesterday, I think Jalen Green's going to average 20 out the gate, which is like very uncommon, but I think that that's going to be the kind of way that he starts his career. Now, let's segue back to some of the stuff when we talk about the offseason moves, we talk about Ben Simmons' value, there's a lot of things to unpack, and it's like really great to get these kind of perspectives because the Ben Simmons phenomenon, right, that's almost literally, that That might be the title of the episode, Um the Ben Simmons phenomenon literally. Defines the trajectory of Philadelphia moving forward, right? If Ben Simmons improves while on this roster, this team can get better. If Ben Simmons' trade value is as high as a guy like Daryl Morey views it or somewhere within that ballpark, then what they will get in return will make Philly better. On the other end of the spectrum, if they are forced to keep Ben Simmons and he is the same guy, Staying the same could still make them the first overall seed in the Eastern Conference. It could. It could. But do you still top out as a semi-finalist team? Does keeping Ben Simmons only tax another year onto what could potentially be in the eyes of most tainted trade value? Making him even more difficult to trade down the line than he already is right now, it seems? Also something to keep in mind. So, I think the biggest thing is you talk about the James Harden trade specifically when you talk about what could have been. And I still always kind of had my gripes with that specific exchange because I always felt as though if it was Ben Simmons for James Harden, James Harden just optimally fits this team a lot better. And I keep using the word optimal because in a, in a positionless league, there still has to be a skill set that you fit in order to be able to play on an NBA roster. There has to be a specific skill set that you have. We have the stretch forward, the 3 and D wing, the ball handling point guard, the pick and roll off guard, the three-point shooting special. Even in a positionless NBA, we still have defined roles within your systems that makes it where you're a playable player. And that's, again, what I mentioned earlier where I say that Ben Simmons is a difficult guy within this construct. So I believe that the James Harden trade, again, going back to Miles' theory slash point, I don't think it was going to get done if it was down to Houston simply making the call because Telman Fertitta is a very bitter dude. Um, He's also a dude that does not like to spend money on things he's not a fan of, and I don't know if he was a fan of Ben Simmons. Granted, you know, that can go however you want it to be. There's a lot of people that are not fans of Ben Simmons at the moment, so he wouldn't be the first. With that being the case... I think my biggest thing for this Philly team when we talk about, you know, moving forward is something that I don't think we're going to be able to fully understand until we see these guys on their own teams, which is, is Ben Simmons better when the system is built around him? Is Joel Embiid better when the system is built around him? We saw interesting stints over the last three to four seasons where the games in which Joel Embiid sat and Ben Simmons played, Ben Simmons was essentially a top 10 MVP player. The same can be said about Joel Embiid when Ben Simmons was out. The issue is, Seeing the both of them. This goes back to what Miles said about the idea of trading him for pennies on the dollar, only to find out that he's an MVP caliber player on a different squad, which only will make you reflect on his value even more so after the trade is done than before you sign pen to paper. So I'll I'll take that and segue into our next question because I think that's important when you talk about who Ben Simmons could become if he's not on this team because the panel seems to agree that he basically can't be on this team moving forward and they sure as heck cannot come out of the 2021-22 season with him still in the roster. I'd be surprised if he makes it past the tra- de- trade deadline Um, at the latest. Ryan, I'll start with you. What do you believe – is the best trade package that you've even seen for Ben Simmons. Now, for everybody listening, I have purposely went into this part of the podcast a bit blind because I want to get a fresh perspective from the guys on the panels. Uh, Ryan's a big trade guy on our pod, so I like like to lean on him with a lot of the scenarios that he brings up. And from Miles' standpoint, he's a guy who is a legit fan of this team, and knows the good and the bad of Ben Simmons in terms of what his value is, as well as knows what Joel Embiid's value is to this team in terms of what he needs around him to be successful. So, Ryan, I'll start with you. What do you believe is the best, just just one, just one, but what do you believe is the best trade package you've seen offered or proposed for Ben Simmons when talking about, Ben Simmons being maximized on a different roster as well as putting a proper group around Joel Embiid, which is obviously the most important point for Daryl Morey in terms of building around Embiid for this team moving forward.
0: So I have an interesting three-team deal that I saw Uh on Bleacher Report. Ben Simmons to the Dallas Mavericks, Chris Asporzingas to the Houston Rockets, and John Wall to the Philadelphia 76ers. I think if the Dallas Mavericks view Luka Doncic as Steph Curry, I think to Miles' point where he mentioned that Ben Simmons could be Draymond Green, I think that's how Dallas views him. If they view Luka as Steph, then they must view Ben Simmons as Draymond Green. So I think on the defensive side, Ben Simmons will provide a lot for the Dallas Mavericks. Now I feel like there's a situation where they may have to give up a little bit more for Ben Simmons, which is why I think maybe the original trade package may have to include a couple of picks or a couple of players. I think somebody like Dwight Powell or Maxie Kleber gets thrown in on that deal, but I think that could be an interesting trade for the Dallas Mavericks. I think looking at it from the Houston perspective, I don't know about you guys, but a front court of Kristaps Porzingis and Christian Wood. As an offensive one-two punch for Houston, I think could be a very interesting situation because of the fact that Chris Asports and, and Christian would both have that ability to hit threes. And then John Wall to Philadelphia, I think is, I think that part's interesting because he's more of the traditional scoring point guard than what Ben Simmons is. Ben Simmons is a great defender. But John Wall's great on the offensive side. So I think that's why this trade's interesting.
1: Um, Miles, I'm actually going to let you go first on this one. I think there's a a lot of interesting aspects to this. I think when you talk about Chris stops, um, you just wonder if his fit on Houston actually is a real thing. Um, out of the fact that one of his biggest gripes on Dallas right now is his uh, lack of feature ability next to Luka. Um, I don't know if Houston is any better, personally. I think the pegging order has to have Jalen Green somewhere in the top three, Kevin Porter somewhere in the top three, Christian Wood somewhere in the top three. Well, I just, you know, I just named all three guys. I got to be in that mix. I think Kevin, uh, Kevin Martin Jr., or Kenyon Martin Jr., rather, is a really solid player for them. I thought John Wall was a pretty decent, or I think, because obviously this trade isn't hasn't actually been conducted, I think John Wall is an interesting table setter for all of these guys. Um, I think John Wall fits the kind of facilitating point guard that can also be a good perimeter guy for Philly, but I don't know how this benefits the Rockets. And then from Dallas's perspective, Man, Ryan, this will be an interesting trade to bring up when we talk to Lauren about Dallas because I think that the only thing Ben Simmons really provides from Dallas' perspective is that defensive upside, which they desperately need. Don't get me wrong. But is he the player that you want next to Luka Doncic, considering that they both are guys who seem to need the ball in their hand? So how do you, how do you feel about this trade? And then, of course, uh, I want you to give your own... Uh, trade package as well in terms of, uh, something that you've seen, um, proposed that you might be a fan of.
2: Yes yeah, So I guess in terms of that trade, I mean, I'm with you, Jalen. I don't see how Kristoff's could be a fit on Houston, just given the fact that they have, they already have Christian Wood and unless you, unless you have Kristoff's playing the five, but there's only one ball going around. You, well, you want Jalen Green to grow. You want Kevin Kevin Porter Jr. to grow. And a guy like Kristoff that obviously wants a bigger role. I don't see how that fits in Houston. Uh And with Dallas, it could work with Ben Simmons and Luka. Thing is, Luka's going to have to give up the ball. You see, he's a ball hog. I'm going to be honest. Luka Luca is a ball hog. The difference between him and Steph is that Steph can move, can move off the ball. Luka, love him. Great player, top six, top six, top seven player in the league, but he cannot move off the ball. He's like, he's like Harden-esque when he gets, when he, when he, when he, when he gives up the ball, he just sits in the corner and, and just stands. I mean, are you going to move off the ball? Are you going to do something to, try to help, help the team? I think that's the reason why Chris was mad because it's like, dude, you have the ball the entire time and you're making pick and rolls, all oh, this. How about you feature me more, you know, more in the offense? So I would say that, uh and I guess going on with John Wall and with you know in Philly I I, I like that I like that because you still got Tobias and I think that you know with John Wall he's shown that you know he was only I mean he was two years removed from, from the league and he was still putting up 20 points I think around like tw- seven assists or around there but you know he was it was pretty promising that that's how he looked after 2 years removed after two devastating injuries so i would like to see john wall in philly i would like that much more than i would like ben simmons uh and you know back at, you know, as a sixer uh so i like that john wall trade uh but i don't really understand the 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 two other trades in that three team trade now with my trade i would have as, as i said before I either want the Sixers to get Dame or get Bradley Beal. If you get one of those guys to pair up with Embiid, it's going to be a scary sight to see. But i really just like to see them trade for Dame. That's the number one guy i like them to trade for. And I think that if they trade him for either uh, Simmons, obviously, give him Tyrese Maxey, two first-round picks. And let's just say Portland's like, all right, we still don't want to do it. I'll throw in Thibodeau in there. I will throw in Thibodeau. I'll, I'll throw basically anybody that the Trailblazers want except MB. Uh So that that's for Dane. I think for the Wizards, I'm. Um, I don't know. If, again, I'm. I mean, they traded away Russ, and I don't know if they're rebuilding. I mean, Bradley Beal said that he wants to stay in. In Washington, I don't know how true that is. I don't know if he really wants to stay. I don't know what the guy wants, really. But let's just say that that the Wizards trade him to Philly, or that they're you know looking at that. I would say that you know getting guy like getting again you know getting a guy like obviously trading away Simmons, Diable, like a first round pick. That's I feel like that would be good for Bradley Bill. That might be a little too much. But honestly, obviously, Ben Simmons' trade value has, has gone down, so you're going to have to give up more than you probably would have liked if you didn't have that meltdown and meltdown in the playoffs. So, ultimately I think just getting a superstar to pair up with Embiid is, is what the Sixers need. Uh, and like I said before, either doing that trade with, with, with uh, Dame or Bradley Beal is the way to go. So, I
1: think that that's interesting because those are obviously the names that are affiliated with Philly the most in terms of um the most recent um the most recent statement that we've seen, and maybe we can table this a little bit is that the the seventy sixers m o for the off season is less of acquiring i mean less of trading Ben Simmons and more so acquiring Damian Lillard which I think Oddly enough is one of those Statements that I feel like goes hand in hand where You're saying a lot of something and a lot of Nothing all in the same statement right I feel like those are two two sons of the Whole of, of the same whole. I think that You would need to trade Ben Simmons in order to acquire Damien Lillard I feel like just logically Speaking nonetheless I think that I think that both of these trades have Their own Individual value in one in in one way versus the other. In Miles' aspect, you give you give Joel Embiid a All Star level MVP level point guard as a perimeter player, something he's never had, never. And I think this is what was so interesting about when Kyle Lowry was once tabled to this team. Um, I think that. That is what would give them the significant upside that they need from a perennial semifinalist team to like a legit championship caliber team. The John Wall move, I think, is a little bit more subtle, but I think it, I, I think it moves the needle, but only so slightly. And I think the, the the question there for Philly fans would obviously be, do you feel as though John Wall would be enough? Again, we're talking about moving Ben Simmons here, which has been the biggest thing of this podcast. Is his value is John Wall's added value enough as a as a move that is, A is not viewed as a lateral move, but B that it's actually enough to put them in actual championship contention, or is this a move that simply just gets them from the semifinals to the conference finals? Because I don't know if as a as a Sixers fan you can be content with that trading Ben Simmons. You might not like Ben Simmons right now, but I don't know if simply going from being a semi-finalist team to being a conference final team is really the kind of value you're looking for when it comes to a Ben Simmons trade. I'm not saying that you'd rather keep Ben, but I'm sure it would maybe create some cause to pause in terms of pulling the trigger at least you might still let it happen because ben simmons might just be that much of a net negative in your heart but you i think you'll at least double back and you know give it a second thought before just leaning into it um so guys we're gonna we're gonna start slowly wrapping um, up this podcast um and we're gonna do it in a really interesting way um I'm going to give you guys the floor on these, but I think that these are two interesting questions as we slowly move towards the rapid fire back end. So, um, I feel safe to say across the board, talking about everything that's been done via the draft and free agency that the Eastern Conference has gotten better. I think that's <laughs> without a doubt, um, apparent across the spectrum, you know, one through 15. Um, I also believe that the Western Conference is as parity-filled as it's ever been despite the fact that the Lakers on paper to certain people, including myself, still seem like the favorite just from a personnel standpoint. So the league is basically as parity-filled as it's ever been. So, um Miles, I'm actually going to start with you. Taking into account the state of your roster, the state of the Eastern Conference, where do you feel like philly ranks in the eastern conference give me your top five in the eastern conference ryan me and you have already done this we did this post free agency um in terms of uh talking to jackson so we're simply going to react to miles um as opposed to provide our own top five if you guys want to hear our top five check out that uh nba free agency episode we just dropped but miles where do you believe philly ranks in the eastern conference like i said give me your top five in
2: the east yeah so i think number one's gotta be the brooklyn nuts i mean that goes without saying got steph i mean they got steph they have katie kyrie Harden. i mean like come on now i think number two is the bucks gotta give the right running champs their respect i mean Giannis is playing out of this world right now i think he's the best player so i got the bucks in number two uh number three I'll uh, the Sixers will probably be number three in my eyes. I don't see a team like the Heat or any other team really leapfrogging them, but I guess we'll have to see with what they do with the, with the Ben Simmons trade. I think at number four, it's, it's, I mean, you can go a lot of ways. You can go Miami, you can go Boston, but I think Miami will probably be number four. And I think number five, I think the Hawks, but like, like y'all said, I mean, the 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 East has gotten better. I mean, from top to bottom, and I think you know a team like the Chicago Bulls that people have been hyped on. I mean, they got Lonzo, they got DeRozan, they can make a playoff press, But honestly, I can name again the Nets, Bucks, Sixers, Heat, Hawks, Knicks. That's six. I think I, I think those are six teams over over them. So at best, they're a seven seed. So it's like this. The East is pretty deep this year. I'm not even gonna lie, and it could challenge up with the West. I, I know you guys see who and the the best teams in the West, uh, but you know they could definitely challenge. Them. I think the, I think the lower half of the East isn't as good as the West, uh, but the East, I mean, especially in the upper echelon, has gotten much better. With Kyle Lowry going to the Heat, with you know the with, with the Hawks getting better, you gotta believe that with that playoff run, the Hawks are gonna be a much better team. Uh and so I would say that the East is getting much better. But again, like I said, my top five teams gotta be the Nets, Bucks, Sixers, the Heat and the Hawks. And then the Knicks and the and the Celtics are gonna fall somewhere in that, you know, in that mix in that mix as well. So,
1: Ryan, um I think that so, in this case, right, um I find this really interesting out of the fact that Um, this is the only spoiler that I'm going to give in terms of that past episode, but the most interesting thing that applies to this episode is that Ryan did not have the 76ers in his top five. So with that being the case, how do you feel about Miles' top five? Um, not only in terms of the 76ers being third, but also, the 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 mere lineup of the east the east in terms of his his selections is relatively similar to yours actually um there's literally only one team mixed out um in terms of the 76ers versus x team like i said we're going to leave that one relatively anonymous check out the episode to really get the breakdown on that but you guys is Top fives are relatively similar with the one big thing being the 76ers being off the list. So explain to Miles why you don't have this Philadelphia 76ers on the list in terms of just them. Like I said, don't give away your top five uh, in full, but explain why they're why they didn't make your list. And then I'll say to add on top of that, explain what you feel like they need to do to reach the top five in your preseason rankings come that time when we do that episode right before the season starts?
0: I'll answer that last question first, and the only thing they really need to do in this offseason for them to be a top five team is trading away Ben Simmons and getting players that fit what Philadelphia is trying to do on both sides of the floor. I think that's the only way this team can get better because we have mentioned throughout this episode The East has gotten significantly better in the past two years. And now it's going to be even more difficult for a team like Philadelphia to pull off what they did last season with what they're going to do in this upcoming season. Like we mentioned, Brooklyn, New York, Atlanta, Miami, all improved. Milwaukee was a team that didn't need to do much. Philadelphia, I believe, regressed in the offseason, and I think their one big move that they needed to make was re-signing Danny Green, because I think he could have turned the tide for them in that Atlanta series, but I think he provides so much on the offensive side that he fits what winning teams want from him. They want a guy who can shoot 40% from three. They want a guy who can cut so that he can get open to the basket. They want a guy who can be a solid defender. Danny Green's all three of those things, and there's a reason why he's found himself on winning teams. There's a reason why he's on the Philadelphia 76ers, because the Sixers are a championship-contending team right now. So there isn't much that Philadelphia can do in order to get better, except for trading Ben Simmons.
1: Okay. So, I think that's a good way to put it. I think the biggest thing is cuz cuz you're taking their off-season into account when you talk about what they've done this off-season, how they um have regressed. I think when you look at your list and who you ended up having as your top 5, I would argue that all five of those teams did improve in some way or the roster was already set to a degree, talking about the Nets more specifically, Milwaukee to a lesser degree as well. Teams that we felt like were already gonna be penciled in somewhere atop the East, one way or another, just from pure roster construction. Um the rest of the team that you the, the, the rest of the teams that you listed either got better or simply you can project them as being better based on certain factors atlanta is the team that comes to mind in this in terms of the fact that they were without deandre hunter for a good portion of the year cam reddish missed time um nick mcmillan was an interim coach so he didn't even get the full year as the co as the coach for this team things like that um so i think it's really interesting across the board um personally so so for me, I did have Philly in my top five. They were just right there towards the bottom of the top five, but it was merely out of the fact that I, I – in the East, my biggest cheat code slash trump card question has been who's stopping and beat? right? That's been my big – my big MO is within this construct, who's stopping and beat. It was the same thing for the Western Conference when we did the rankings for that. I was like, yes, the Lakers are old, but if – LeBron James is healthy. If Anthony Davis is healthy and they sign shooters around them, what team in the West is better than them? I know they're not they're not the the most exciting pick in the world, considering their roster and considering it it seems like a very great ode to 2012. But I think at the end of the day, circumstantially, especially with guys like Kawhi Leonard out, Jamal Murray out, or at least planning to miss significant time. Who is, who, who's better than the Lakers right now? And I feel like Philly falls into a similar aspect where once you get past the top five, who has a player better than Joel Embiid on their team? I have a hard time, you know, finding that player. Um, so with that being the case, Miles, you had them as your third team in the East. Where would you rank them? amongst the entire nba now of course this gets a little lengthy um i'm going to take your top 10 in this case and we'll we'll go back through it and you know repeat it for the listeners so that they can get a full grasp of your list but where do the sixes fall within the grand scheme of the league in terms of you feel like in terms of the championship picture we're talking about a power ranking of your top 10 in the league
2: yeah i mean in terms of the championship teams like the bucks the Nets, Lakers, probably even the Nuggets are probably over them with the with the Jamal Murray coming back. So they're probably not in that first tier, but in that second tier of teams. And depending on what they get with this trade, if they get a Dame, they're in that first tier for sure. But you know, but if they get a guy like, I think if they get Bradley Beal, they're still in that second tier a little bit, uh, but if they get a bona fide superstar for Ben Simmons, they gotta be in that first tier, but let's just say they keep Ben Simmons and the roster is how it is right now. They're in that second tier with teams like, the teams like, uh, the Heat, teams like the Suns, you know, all those second tier teams. So they're definitely like, you know, a level behind Teams like the Lakers, the Nets, the Bucks, that are you know sort of or oh, the Golden State, you know all those teams that are I didn't even mentioned them, but they could be a contender too. As a matter of fact, not I mean not they could be, they will be a contender next year. Uh, and so I just think that they have a long way to go. I think in terms of being a contender, uh, unless they get Damian Little, unless they get Dame time, you never know. Uh, but I do think that uh, you know in terms of them. Competing for a championship, you still got those teams as I mentioned over them. So right now they're in that second tier, and maybe if they have a bunch, if 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 the NBA has a bunch that has a bunch of injuries like they did last season, maybe they could go you know go up you know go up a little bit higher. But as of right now, they're in that second tier in the NBA.
1: So Ryan, this is the this is the part that gets really interesting because when we start talking about tier systems, and man, that's something that we should really like take a deep dive into before the season starts at some point is really kind of getting an aspect of where all these teams lie. That'll definitely be something we have to do a sit down on. Um But okay, let's, let's, let's address it from a tier system standpoint. Where do you feel like they fall in the pecking order of the NBA? I feel like the teams at the top in terms of legit chances at the NBA title has to start with probably the Nets, the Bucks, the Lakers, and then after that, it gets tricky. I think that's where you fall into a lane where Miami, the Hawks, Denver of Jamal Murray comes back. I think the Clippers are a tier one team if Kawhi Leonard is healthy. Where do you feel like the Sixers fall in this? I do feel as though they're a tier two team. Um, Right now, I do agree with Miles that Tier 1 is only reserved for if you have a bona fide superstar on the perimeter. And right now, Ben Simmons is not considered that even as a 16-8-8 guy. So with that being the case, where do you feel like they land in the tiers of the NBA in terms of a legitimate shot to win the title?
0: Tier 2 as it stands right now, but if they get Damian Lillard, they're going to be a Tier 1. I think all they need is that superstar. They have Joel Embiid. He is indeed a superstar. But a lot of these championship teams have two superstars or three superstars. I feel like now we're, we're in an era of the super teams where you need multiple great players on your team in order to win a championship, even though the Bucs this year proved that that's not really the case. But in the past, we've seen teams that have two or three superstars that we consider tier one teams win the championship. I think the Philadelphia 76ers are one player away from winning a championship, and that one player is Damian Lillard. If they can get rid of Ben Simmons and get Damian Lillard, Huge win for Sixers fans.
1: And if they don't, because that has to be taken into consideration because similar to Bradley Beal, obviously, Damian Lillard's trade uh, circumstances are... Up in the air, and you're we're banking on a woulda coulda have shoulda maybe sorta of, kinda so type of vibe in terms of uh getting Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is the key to a lot of people potentially being a championship team. Ian's Boston Celtics has been another team that's been mentioned in trades with with Dame. So I feel like it's it's of course it's very easy to say okay Damian Lillard can make you a championship team, but what if they can't acquire Damian Lillard? What if what if a Ben Simmons trade only is able to bring in Two, three rotational, three and D pieces. Granted, three and D prospects slash three and D rotational players nowadays are the cream of the crop of the NBA. But say they're, you know, second tier, third tier level guys who can be starters and rotational players for them that fit a specific role. They're just not Damian Lillard. Do they still fall within that lane, or do you feel like because it would be a more Joel, Joel Embiid? centric offense that they can because of him in a more expounded role they can be a a tier one team
0: I feel like the only other way that the Sixers can be a tier one team if they uh, acquire like you mentioned earlier a couple other 3 and D guys because they have Danny Green already and he's a solid 3 and D guy but they need more than just Danny Green I think they need to provide more shooting than what they already have. They have Seth Curry. They have Danny Green. They have Tyrese Maxson coming off the bench and giving you that scoring. I feel like if they don't acquire Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal, and if they don't acquire more 3 and D complementary players, this team is probably going to be a tier two team for the remainder of Joel
1: and ten tenure in Philadelphia. So, Miles, I'll transition this to you as we get closer to wrapping this up. Do you believe that if the Sixers trade Ben Simmons in a way that maximizes Joel Embiid as a number one? So this is not getting Damian Lillard. This is in a circumstance where they are simply grabbing more players that maximize Joel Embiid's role as a number one. Do you believe that Joel Embiid can move the Sixers Into that top tier, or do you believe that he needs a top level perimeter player in order for this team to actually have a shot at the championship?
2: Oh, he no, he he definitely needs a a, know a top level perimeter player to win a championship. I think of him like a guy a lot like Shaq, a guy like Giannis. They didn't get over the hump until they had, you know, until Shaq had a guy like Kobe Bryant. I mean, he's a top, he's the second best uh, shooting guard ever a guy like Dwayne Wade who's the third best shooting guard ever Giannis he had Chris Milton and Drew Holiday which combined I've always said is like a superstar how they both play in the finals basically like combines like a superstar and he and he, and he had that Embiid does not have that uh, Simmons isn't isn't that guy Tobias Harris he'll give you 20 a night but you're asking a lot if he gives you above 25 at all uh and so Embiid has to get a guy that can go with him, that can get at least 30, that can at least match him. You saw in the finals, a guy like Giannis, he had 32 points in game five, but a guy like Chris Wilson had 28, a guy like Joe Holiday had 27, and like 11 or 13 dimes or something like that, something crazy. So other players, you've seen other big men get help, and that's what Embiid needs. He can put up, and what I've seen with Embiid is that, through the first three quarters, he's great, right? He's great. But in that last, like, fourth quarter, he starts to, you know, wind down. And really, in that fourth quarter, that's when you see the perimeter players really shine. You see guys like Dame, other guys like Steph, guys like KD. Those are when the perimeter players step up in crunch time. You don't normally see, you know, big men really step, you know, really, you know, close. You know, at the end of games. So I think MB needs a closer. You saw in 2019, the closer for the Sixers was Jimmy Butler. And that's the reason why they were this close to ultimately winning a championship because I believe the NBA finals wasn't the Warriors and the Raptors. It was Raptors versus the, versus the Sixers. Cause if the Sixers win that, they ultimately win the title with the injured uh, Warriors team. So I would say that with that being said, you saw in in 2019 when Embiid and Simmons had a closer in in uh, Jimmy Butler, you no, know, they were able to to almost get over that hump, like a lucky shot away from getting from uh, getting over the hump. But I think now the Sixers the Sixers does not have a closer you cannot re- rely on Tobias Harris on doing that, can't rely on Seth Curry on doing that, can't rely on Ben Simmons definitely on doing that. Uh, think moving forward, if the team is constructed how it is, that's gonna be the, the main problem late in games. Is who's gonna close the deal? Because you can't give it to Ben Simmons, because if you because all they gotta do is, is just foul him, can't give it to to Tobias. He's not really a, a an, he's, he's not really an All Star or a superstar. Well, definitely not a superstar. And Embiid gets tired at the end of the games. So I think what M B needs is a guy like Damian Lillard, a guy that can close late in games. Because like like I said before, Embiid is great in the first three quarters, but come that final stretch in the fourth quarter, he tends to get tired, and that's when and that's the reason why the 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 Sixers lost against the Hawks. So it was because the Hawks had a closer in Trey Young, we did not. So the main so the main issue is that is that the Sixers don't have a closer, and unless they have that, that's the only way that they can, again, level up from that tier two to that tier one in in the you know in the league.
1: All solid points across the board. I think everybody has made it really apparent that, man, like I said earlier, I think that this is such an interesting conversation. Ryan, this is one of the first teams and maybe one of the only teams we talk about in the series um, where one player has so much influence on the upward or downward trajectory of a team in terms of the title, the title race because Ben Simmons... And his value across the NBA will determine so much about how Philly decides to move forward with him if he remains on the roster, how he will grow into a different player, or maybe even remain the same player on a on a different roster. How this team in Philly could improve depending on what kind of package they receive. Um, there's so many factors with one guy. Being at the center of all of it In a way that is so much more Impactful than any other player So much more polarizing too Than any other player That we can probably discuss throughout this entire Series talking about all these teams Um So guys we're going to rapid fire through the last Part of this podcast just some quick little questions That uh, are you know Very Sixers fandom Related Uh Miles we're going to start with you Who do you believe is The most underrated player on your team
2: The most underrated player has got to be Tyrese Maxey. And, I mean, if he keeps on developing, this guy's only a rookie. If you think back to game – I think it was game six. I mean, Ben Simmons was in foul trouble. It looked like it was over. I mean, the Hawks jumped out to an early lead. But Doc Rivers put in Tyrese Maxey, and he kept us afloat, putting in floater after floater. So I think that if the Sixers keep him in the long term – He's a guy that you should watch out for and be like, oh, well, I'd not expect him to be this good. And I think that, no, you know, moving forward, I mean, Kentucky guards have really been showing up in in the NBA lately. And, you know, guy like Tyrese Maxey, Coach Cal has been raving about him to Doc Rivers. And, you know, Doc Rivers has trust in Tyrese Maxey. So I think moving forward next season, if the Sixers keep Tyrese Maxey, he's a guy that you should look out for. And he's very underrated, I mean. He's a great player and you know, a smart NBA player, and there's big things, big things for him to come in the NBA.
1: Ryan, who do you believe is uh, the most underrated player for the Sixers not named Tyrese Maxey?
0: I'm going to say Seth Curry, and I think it's what he provides on the offensive side. Like I said earlier, it was something that Philly needed last season and coming into this, this past season. So I think that Seth Curry's very underrated.
1: Yeah, I gotta agree, man. I mean, the the bouncing around for Seth Curry is ridiculous. Kills in the playoffs for Portland. Kills in the playoffs for the Mavericks. Plays really, really well for Philadelphia. He was really one of the bigger contributors in that Adla- uh, in that Atlanta series. Ah, uh, man, Seth Curry, man, very underrated. I think Matisse will too, man, too, man. I think. He's got to get that offensive package there, and that's going to be the biggest swing skill for him is just becoming a net positive on offense because I think he just does so much as a hustle player. But on defense, no slouch. There's no way in the world that you can uh, picture this guy not making a couple more uh, all-defensive teams moving forward. Um, Miles, we're going to come back to you. Who do you believe is the most improved player on your team? Um, this is going from the 2019-2020 season to the 2020-21 season. Who do you believe improved the most over
2: the course of a year? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think a guy like Matisse Thibault. Matisse Thibault, I mean, you know, how he has improved, and obviously he has to develop more of an offensive game. But being second-team all-defense in the entire league, I mean, this guy is the main reason why we were so great defensively in the regular season. So as he continues to use to improve, I mean I, I mean, I only see great things from him. And so I would say from last season to this season, a guy like Matisse Thibault has been probably one of the most improved players on this team.
1: Ryan, outside of Matisse Thibault, who do you think is somebody for the – this Philly team that took a, a pretty decent step up from the 2019-2020 season to the 2020 season.
0: Yeah, I feel like Tobias may be the most improved player on this team. I think that he's a guy that has stepped up significantly as somebody that can be a viable third option. Like I think to Miles' point, he's not quite there as a second option. I think he's a viable third option. Again, another consistent shooter, and I think that Philadelphia – has a lot of value by having Tobias Harris there as someone that can shoot the ball on the offensive side. I
1: think it's really interesting that you guys moved away from the guy who I thought would have easily been at the top of his list. I I thought it was Joel Embiid, personally. This is a guy who played himself from being an All-Star to being an MVP candidate. That kind of tier transition is one that a lot of players in the NBA have not been able to turn the corner on. There's plenty of people that have been able to be an all-star caliber player for a season. We've seen flash in the pan players as all-star caliber players plenty of times beforehand. And of course, we've seen Joel Embiid as a perennial all-star caliber player, but he's continued to hit that ceiling where you wonder, can he be an MVP level guy? Last season, outside of not uh, outside of not meeting the game threshold, on the game's play threshold, he was right there in the mix for the MVP and when we first started having our initial discussions about the MVP race a lot of people were saying LeBron James I was saying Joel Embiid from the beginning and I feel like the biggest thing is as a, as a as a front court player you know LeBron James is listed more, more as a point guard now so I would say as a front guard a front court player the step that him being Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic took this season as stepping up from all star caliber centers to MVP level again is a jump that not many players in the NBA are able to make. I think that Joel Embiid, career high, 28 points, 28.5 points per game, still 10.6 rebounds, so he had average a double double, 1.4 blocks. He was in the defensive player of the year running, which is something that we haven't been able to affiliate with him very much throughout his career. Don't get me wrong, he's always been a solid rim protector, but I felt like last season was his first real like, breakout-level season on the defensive side of the ball. I think Joel Embiid improved in a lot of ways that a lot of all-stars nowadays don't typically do. Um Brian, I'm actually going to start with you because I want to let Miles get the last word um, Where do you predict that the Philadelphia 76ers will finish in the regular season standings? So, again, this is not factoring in any power rankings or anything like that for everybody listening. This is more specifically about the regular season standings and how they'll finish um, in the seeding. Ryan, where do you think they might finish?
0: I would say anywhere between two and six. If they finish in second or third. Mm -hmm. That would indicate that they made a move for Ben Simmons that was beneficial to the Philadelphia 76ers on both sides of the floor. If they didn't make a move for Ben Simmons, I think that they probably finished somewhere between 5 and 6, given the roster that they have going into this season. Now, granted, of course, they they finished first in the Eastern Conference with this roster. But the East became significantly better, so I feel like it's to their detriment.
1: Fair point, and I think that's a good way to 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 transition to to Miles. Yeah, where do you feel like they'll finish in the Eastern Eastern Conference standings, um, regular season wise? Because I think Ryan makes a solid point. The East across the board got better, and although all fifteen teams can't make the playoffs, I think at least when we talk about the top twelve. I don't think there's going to be that many gimme games in the Eastern Conference anymore, which will make the standings in the regular season really interesting. So where do you think that Philly will end up, um, in the regular season standings come seasons in?
2: I think that they'll be in that three, the third seat to the fifth seat. They'll be around, you know, around there. I still think that Doc is a good coach, right? He's still a good coach. He's going to motivate his guys. I think he's a big reason why. As you mentioned that MB took that leap from being a, a all-star, a, you know, a superstar, you know, being you know, being an all-star caliber guy to elevating it to being a superstar in this league, being that MVP type, you know, being that MVP level type of guy. Uh, so I think Doc was the main reason in that, uh, and I would say that just with the whole overall talent in the roster, if, I mean, if you have a guy like Tobias Harris that is your second or third option, you should have, and you have a, and you have an MVP level player in, you know, in Joel Embiid. And if he stays healthy for the entire season, which probably won't happen, but if he gets, at, if he plays at least like 60 games, 65 games, the Sixers should at least be, you know, in that, um, third to, you know, third to, third to fifth seed range. I'm going to have them as the third seed just because they are a great team at home. They, they weren't great in the second round, but in the regular season, they are, great one of the best teams in the league at home and i think that'll play great in the regular season so i think in that third third to fifth seed range is where they'll end up being yeah
1: i think that's an underrated stat that you were talking about in terms of their ability to win games at home it was actually one of the the big things that kept them afloat um two seasons ago when they had uh when they when they made a really interesting run in that case and I was one of the biggest things that made them the number 1 overall seed in the Eastern Conference last season was just their control at home. So I think that home court advantage for them is huge and especially with fans being back in the stadiums or at least even at a certain, you know, capacity, I think that should also help them as well. They're one of those teams that I mean I agree with you guys. I, I'm really kind of glad that you guys put these guys in a range as opposed to putting them in a specific lane, because I really do feel like, again, like I mentioned beforehand, this Ben Simmons trade can really sway things one way or another. And even if they don't trade him simply the locker room chemistry aspect of this team still will have a significant impact on the regular season as well. Um, So Miles, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show, my dude. This is the part of the wheel of fandom segment where of course, We let the fan get the last word in terms of just anything. I mean, you're back in school. Um, school starting soon. For those who don't know, Miles goes to Morehouse. Um, so he is in the land of the team that destroyed his team. Hope y'all just hope y'all just keep that in mind. Um, but regardless of the circumstances, um just anything that you have on your mind in terms of what you got coming up moving forward. I know you've been doing a lot of stuff for the podcast. For those that have kept an eye on that, great follow on Instagram. Real Talk with MJ is that uh, the ad name will drop that um, in the description below as well. But just anything in terms of upcoming content you got going on. I know you got stuff going on with the Atlanta Voice, which is huge as well. School, just anything in terms of, you know, what's going on with
2: you or your Sixers fandom. Yeah, so I was, as you know, in about two weeks, so like a week and a half, I started school. Um, so I'm transitioning from being in Philadelphia for for like a year and a half having you know being uh quarantined you know know, going on school online and all that from going into person and all that so that's been an adjustment i'm happy that you know i'm probably gonna switch my podcast to being on mondays and thursdays that's not solidified yet or like official yet but that's kind of what i'm trying to do uh but yeah i'll probably have either um episode this week uh, or I might just start my, just start doing like the whole like, you know, showdown of, you know, show, down of podcast episodes next week. Um, you know, as I get more, more, like, you know, adjusted to, you know, being in the a being in the A. I'm happy to be here. And again, man, I'm happy to be on your podcast, bro. I mean, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk about some Sixers, talk about Ben Simmons, talk about these different trades, talk about where, where the Sixers will end up. So, man, it's some, you know, it's some big stuff too. You know you know, you know, in the future, and I definitely got to have y'all on here once I get everything situated. Got you know, get my little background set up too. Have already you know got my little you know uh I get set up right now in my suite in my little dorm room right now. But I mean I'm just getting adjusted right now, and you know it's some big stuff coming up this year.
1: Yeah, Miles has a lot going on on the Instagram front. He's got a lot going on behind the scenes. He's also doing stuff with Chevrolet in terms of doing his internship with that. I'm glad that that went really well over the summertime as well. So I mean, that. this this dude is this dude is making a movie right now. Like I said, if you guys don't already follow him on Instagram, I like I said, really. Really solid follow. He's not just a basketball guy either. He, he's spitting some some hoops game to y'all right now, but he's had some Olympics conversations over the last couple of days yes, sir. that cannot be slept on. So like if you guys are just a fan of sports in general, like definitely give this man a listen because it goes beyond hoops with this dude. Um so Ryan, with that being the case man, uh, get us up out of here bro.
0: We want to thank our guest, Miles Johnson, for coming back onto the podcast and talking some Philadelphia 76ers basketball with us. And you listening to our question of the day for our fans. Where do you think the Philadelphia 76ers will finish this season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast, of course. Make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, we rate our podcast five stars. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you guys next episode.
1: Peace!